Trek Profiles Podcast, episode 20, recorded January 2019. the trek profiles podcast where each episode we sit down with a star trek fan we learn their story and we attempt to understand why star trek matters to them to you and to each of us i'm john your intrepid host of this whole enterprise and i welcome you to this the trek profiles podcast episode 20 if you want to contact us you can reach us at feedback at trekprofiles.com or on facebook or twitter at trek profiles If you want to leave us a voicemail, you may do that at our automated voicemail line at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Warning! As we record this, we have just started Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, so all previous Trek content up to and including that point is fair game and may be discussed during this episode. You have been warned, human. As always, my trusty sidekick and co-host is the super fastidious, always factual, yet never friendly M5 Multitronic Unit. Greet our listeners, M5. M5 Multitronic Unit. All systems standing by. M5, show me the news and messages. Messages and announcements on the main screen. This show is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. We've got some big news as I record this. The network has added several new tiers on Patreon. Now, if you've been a Patreon supporter in the past, everything is the same. But we've added more levels with additional fun stuff, such as the ability to vote on show topics, to get guaranteed guest spots, exclusive swag, and there's even an option to get your very own guest spot on this very podcast. So check it all out at www.patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And if Patreon support is not the right thing for you, that is okay. There are other ways to support the show as well. We would appreciate your ratings and reviews in iTunes, YouTube, or whatever platform you are using to listen to our shows. We'd appreciate it so very much. All right. It is time for the review of the Kobayashi Maru questions from episode 18 with Ali Martinez, otherwise known as the 23-year-old Trekkie. Question one. In your next life, you will be reborn as a Star Trek alien. You can choose between Andorian or Vulcan. Ali made the logical choice and selected Vulcan, and so did all of you, by 62 to 38%. Question 2. Time for lunch. Will it be plomic soup a la Neelix or omelets a la Riker? Ali selected the soup. Now, personally, I was partial to the soup as well. Even if it's poorly cooked, vegetarian soup probably won't kill you. But a Riker omelet just might. However, on Twitter, all of you selected the omelet by 67 to 33%. Question 3. Worst possible Star Trek punishment? A month in the agonizer, like in the Mirror Universe, or 20 years of implanted prison memories, like from the Argrothi? Allie selected the insidious prison memories, and so did all of you, by 62 to 38%. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's question 4. Who is the worst badmiral? Haftel, who tried to take Lal away from Data, or Pressman, who illegally tested a Starfleet cloaking device. Allie picked Pressman. Now, without a doubt, this question caused more discussion than any other in my show's history. It got the most number of votes, shares, comments, and all of that. 
This one particular tweet seemed quite representative of the kind of discussion. Quote, Pressman is worse, but Hafter is the bigger... And that was from the wonderful Lee Sargent, who tweets at Lee Sargent. Another commenter said, quote, Haftel redeemed himself when he comes out of the lab and starts with, she, she won't survive much longer. That's when the waterworks start for me. Pressman showed zero remorse. Great story and performance, but a totally unredeemable character, unquote. That was from at John Fuchsius online on the Twitter. There were many more comments and thoughts on this, and the poll ran neck and neck until the very final moments when Haftel was declared the worst admiral by 51 to 49% with 302 votes. And finally, question five. Who's chasing you? Is it the Tal Shiar or the Obsidian Order? Allie went full Cardassian for this one and picked Garrick's old crew, and the Datapa Council and all of you on Twitter fully agreed with this pick by 60 to 40%. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, and after each show, I posit the questions to all of you, and we have a fun time hashing out those questions. So join me there if you want to talk to me about the Kobayashi Maru questions from this episode. All right, that's going to do it for messages and communiques. Let's move on. M5, let's run the intelligence profile for this week's guest, and let's start the show. M5 will comply. Her favorite character is all the Daxes. Her favorite alien that she loves to hate is Q. You can find her on Medium at Janae, and you can find her on the Twitter at Janae ITC. She's Janae Fowler from North America Earth in Sector 001. Welcome, Janae, and thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Janae, are you a Star Trek fan? Yes, absolutely. All right, fantastic. That is the price of admission to the Trek Profiles podcast, is being a Star Trek fan. Uh, What is your very first Star Trek memory? Do you have one? It's kind of blurry because I, I think I started watching Star Trek along the lines of you know the first time i started watching tv and mm-hmm. as a as an 80s baby that was what i grew up with the beloved television and mom loved reruns of the original star trek so i got steeped in that and then you know the next generation was coming out as i was growing up so it was kind of always around me like a protective little bubble so as we sit here in 2019 have you seen all 700 and something hours of star trek or only certain parts of it no, I haven't seen everything, but I think that I've seen probably more, I've seen almost everything. I haven't seen all of Voyager, and I'm caught up with the new Discovery. We can argue about how you feel about that. And uh, I've seen all the original, all the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of stuff here. The movies. Enterprise. Yeah. Okay, so Enterprise, I've seen like a couple of seasons of, so I didn't I didn't see all of that. That's true. Animated series? So, no, but I've heard things. I, I should. It's it's I a should. trip. I mean, yeah. it's it's trippy. It's kind of crazy. Totally worth it. Uh, I, I, I think it's totally worth it. Some people will tell you it's not. It's not. It's too weird. But there's some pretty good episodes in there. And every time I look at it, I always think, man, I can't believe they got away with putting this on Saturday morning TV for, for kids. I mean, it was just some of it was so trippy. It really was. Ooh. Okay. So which series do you uh, closely identify with, most closely identify with, if any? That would have to be the next generation. Like I said, it was coming out while I was growing up. And that was really, it was, you know, those were my heroes. I looked up to that crew. We pretended to be that crew. We had those toys, you know, that was was my childhood right there. And so when you were growing up, you were watching it with your family. Yeah, my uh, single mom raised us, uh, myself and my two brothers. And Star Trek was one of those super safe things we could watch. It Mom was pretty strict as far as, anything 
violent or sexual or suggestive on TV, but Star Trek always got a pass. It was always completely okay with her. As long as, you know, we could we could play with the phasers, but we had to set them on stunt. That was the rule. We couldn't pretend to kill anybody. But luckily, you know, the, the characters in Star Trek, everybody is very ethical, very moral, depending on how you look at it. And they follow the prime directive, which you're not supposed to go around killing nobody. It says it. So, uh, so it kind of worked out like it was, it was a really, uh, really safe environment for us and it was a lot of fun. So we, we did spend a lot of time watching it together. Fantastic. D- did you have a particular character that you liked the best on Next Gen? Oh, that's, you know, I think it would have been Tasha if they would have not killed her off. And that was her choice. I understand. But I think when I was younger, I thought that I had to identify more with female characters. But now as an adult looking back, I, I think that I've always most strongly identified with data and and why was that well i i think it's partially because of data's sort of outsider status he spends a lot of time looking at people and and trying to figure out how to be like that even though he is like you know he's designed to be exactly then he's supposed to be but he's not and and i think that dichotomy of always feeling not quite adequate and not quite fitting in but also knowing that you're quite capable if you're at the right application because sometimes data is like well, i'm not saying i'm smart like data but he is like super smart he's like really mm-hmm. really cool in a lot of ways oh yeah but i think i identified more with his outsider status than his like super intelligence i think a lot of people do i think a lot of people felt the same way about mr spock that he was sort of different from the rest oh, yeah. of the crew they felt the same way about data uh in a lot of ways so i think that's a pretty common sort of thing. Are you still you still watching Star Trek today? You you, you catching up on Discovery and and seeing most of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is did you see the Discovery shorts? I've seen them all. I I, oh. I do a Star Trek podcast. How can I not I mean, watch all I mean, the shows? They're, they're ju- they just happened. I didn't know if you had subscriptions or whatnot. I didn't know if you had time. I know you have other things than just the Star Trek and the podcast. Well you know we have to make times for the things that really matter for us, Janae. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah there this I you know, in defense of Discovery, because a lot of people are like, that's no Star Trek. It feels to me like there's a lot of the original spirit. It, it is a little bit like action, explosion, explosions. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to fault it for something, okay, the action's a little unrealistic. Like the, um, like the rest of everything has been so realistic up to this point, you guys. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think part of what people have to come to terms with is that if you're going to make a TV show in 2018, 2019, you just have to have a little bit of special effects extravaganza rolled into the burrito. You know, it's just, it's kind of just mandatory, but I think the balancing act, just like making a good burrito is not to let the rice overpower the beans and not to let, let you get the whole thing has to be in harmony. You know what I'm saying? You can't have too much of one mm-hmm. thing. So I think that's for, for discovery. I'm kind of half and half on it, but season two, I've been really excited about. I've, I've really liked it and felt much more uh, at home in the, in these last mm-hmm. couple episodes than I, than I did in the first season. Definitely. Definitely. It felt like it was trying to land somewhere and, and get its kind of grounding. And, you know, maybe season two is the Riker's beard moment for, for this, because we have to give them all that chance. Oh yeah. I mean, if you were to judge TNG, for instance, by the same standards that people are looking <laughs> at discovery, it's like TNG never would have made it out of the first season. I mean, it was a spectacular <laughs> horror show. For most of season one. <laughs> and I mean, you just go, oh my God, get get out of this. It's quite bad. It's quite bad. Yeah, I mean, some of them were so bad. I mean, 
was that one code of honor? And I just thought, <laughs> Oh my God, I, I, I remembered watch. I remembered that I had to have watched this when it first came on the air. And I guess I just suppressed all memories of it because it was so freaking bad. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in my defense, I was a child, <laughs> like literally a child. No, so. I, I, I was in high school, so I'm, I'm a bit older okay, than you. You were still a child, is our same defense. And, and, but I know that I, because I was in high school at the time, and I know, like, I was a Star Trek fan since six. And so I knew I was in high school watching those episodes every night when they went on. And <laughs> I just must have suppressed that whole thing. So when you're watching Discovery, are you just watching it with, by yourself, or do you watch it with other people? Do you have a viewing party, or just consuming it on your own? <laughs> No, it's funny uh, because the, you know, speaking of the Riker's beard moment, I, I watched Discovery with my partner who is now like a really big Trek fan. But when I met him, he'd never seen a single episode. He didn't know what the big deal was. And I, I tried to. So you're, you're recruiting for the fandom, I see. Absolutely. I, I think more people should. Actually, I, you know, I think I've, I, I've mentioned this to you. I think you saw it in the original reason that we corresponded, but I also recruited my English professor. We can get to that later, but. So my partner had never seen any episodes and I wanted to get him into it. And I sat it down in front of the next generation, which was on Netflix. So it was really easy. And he basically ignored up until the Riker's beard moment. Like he was on his phone, just kind of scrolling <laughs> during the first couple of seasons. And then it started to get good. And he was like, Oh, and then by the end of it, you know, he was just like gripped, you know, and he was so sad when it was like the last episode. And, we we watched Deep Space Nine together, and I had actually never seen the entire like I'd seen Deep Space Nine in pieces, but I'd never seen the entire canon like together before. So we watched all of that together, and we've been attempting to watch an episode or two of Voyager here and there, but it is so hard. And I want to, I want to so bad, but it is so hard. And I've heard that you just you basically the Riker's beard moment is when seven of nine, seven of nine, right? When and from what I understand, which my friend told me about it, but then kill it for me was that there's some things that would really interest me about this the entire story surrounding voyager and seven of nine and the continuing interaction between oh good well maybe we can talk about that a little bit later um i actually missed most of voyager and so i'm actually catching up right now i'm in the middle of season three and i'm seven of nine there yet no she doesn't come in until season four but i will say this i really am enjoying it so i much more so than i thought i would because i just being a fan and being around a lot of other fans people seem to hate on the show all the time and uh i just think it's fantastic there's one episode that really bothered me which is this infamous episode called tuvix have you ever seen that one maybe so here's the story in a nutshell is that voyager you know there's the captain janeway and she's got these two officers or one officer and one like civilian passenger who's been like helping out on the ship and Neelix and Tuvok, there's a transporter accident and they get merged into a new being, a new, a new person. And he's actually really cool. He's very different than the other two, but he was created by this transporter accident. And the point of the show is, should they try to reverse this and get the two officers back or would that be ethically incorrect? because this is a new person and it's, can you murder this person to save two people? Well, if that's true, then wouldn't you be able to just go, go in the street and just like murder people and harvest their organs to save more people? Like, wouldn't it, like if you're saying that I can murder two Vicks because I can get two people back, well then I should be able to go and like just randomly murder people and take their organs and save lots of people. Right. I mean, so that's kind of the ethical dilemma in the episode. And that one kind of threw me for a loop because I, I just, 
I, I completely seized up on it. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but I'll just say that. They, tell me whether or not they split them or they leave them conjoined. Well, that's that's the that's the episode okay. is should they do it right? Mm. And and I mm. felt like without giving away what they choose to do, I felt like that they didn't give the appropriate weight to the ethical decision. Like that's mm. something that like you should be like crying into your bed sheets over for like weeks on end, right? That's not the kind of thing you're like, yep, I think, uh, okay, I got an 11 o'clock meeting. Let's bang this out right quick in 15 minutes because I got some other people. Okay, what are we going to do? Bing, bing, bing. It was more like that. And I'm exaggerating a little, but only a little. Um, I mean, Data got a whole trial. You know, yeah, I mean, Data had a whole trial, right? They didn't have any of that in this episode. I just felt like they didn't give the weight to the ethical decision that they should have. Maybe it's because Voyager is like a ship on its own and like basically the prime directive is out the window at this point. I mean, really. So maybe it's just they they just do court like quick. You know what, Janae? <laughs> I would be down with that. But then I can tell you how many episodes where they're like, no, it's because we're going to follow all the Starfleet rules that we're going to get out of this. You know, and so some episodes are like, no, we have to do everything correctly. And then some other episodes are like, no, nah, we ain't doing any of that. OK, fine. The prime directive is like it's like the, the everybody like, well, you know, when people have babies on shows and babies only make baby noises when it's like appropriate for them to make baby noises. And then every time else they're quiet. And like if the main character needs to do a thing, it's not like, oh, we have to find a sitter or like I need a nurse. It's just like, no, we can. Like I had a baby like 10 minutes ago. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the prime I, directive is like the convenient baby. I think this comes up in every episode of Trek Profiles, but I like to call it the prime suggestion because they never <laughs> seem to like they have to it never seems like they have to follow it. What are you going to do? All right. So anyway, I thoroughly recommend Voyager. Give it a shot. Uh, you may like it. Try it. Just just stick with it. So you've watched the show. Are you a collector? Do you, do you buy any Trek merch? Well, when when I was younger, collectively throughout my group of friends, we had an enterprise like the, the pretty large scale like not huge but you know like the biggish ones that you could build and there was also a klingon bird of prey and we had oh we had a little the little shuttle it was so cool but and then we had like several of the characters from next generation and a couple from deep space and we would like play very intricate games with them but as i got older i didn't really you know, I couldn't really keep them. My friends still have some of them. And I saw like the whole set at a store recently, like a collector store, but I'm not as much as it was, it's really sentimental to me. I also feel like I don't, I don't really have the money in my life. Like I've moved across the U S so many times. The last time I moved, I moved from Manhattan to Chicago and it was what could fit in my car. Like I had this little two door hatchback and including my cat was in there. And like, who became later I didn't at the time was not dating this person but my current partner who's like over six feet tall and then his like younger sister and then like the rest was my stuff so it's kind of like it's not that I wouldn't collect if I were there but you know it is like not really a convenient thing in my life and it, it also it makes me appreciate it but I'm glad other people are keeping it in plastic because if I had it I just want to play with it I would just <laughs> like let's be real plus I want one of the communicators because they made them back when I was a kid but they're like giant they're like the size of a freaking apple and i want like a small one that connects to my phone and i can like have an incoming call and when i like my phone is ringing and i can hit it and it'll be like and i can like have my conversation and that's what i want like i want a communicator like that we can do that we have the watches people have are tiny like we can have communicators i don't know why we don't have this guys it's 2019 i went off on a tangent 
No, yeah. it's fine. I think I think you're right. You know, I think we I think we could have that stuff. You know, in fact, I'm sure someone's going to tweet at me and sell, tell me that this stuff exists for one million dollars. Yeah, I don't have. <laughs> yeah, that's you got to put the pinky I'm in the corner of your right mouth now. when you when you say. No, it. I shouldn't even made that joke. Again, it's 2019. I need to remind myself of that. Like no one, it's like a million dollars isn't even that much in 2019. It's laughable. I get you. Meta. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're in the same boat when it comes to collecting because I am never able to keep stuff in the box. Uh, I am one of those people. I'm just like, this looks too freaking cool for school. And I just want to like open it up and just check it out and play with it. You know, so I, I have to make really here in gas keys, you know, mm-hmm. I know and I'm, I'm a grown man and I'm like, I want to play with that, you know, so it's totally get it. But that's one of the reasons I do the show, right? Is to indulge my love of track and to talk to people that love it too. Have you ever been to a Star Trek convention? It, again, this comes into this like whole price thing. Because I remember when I was a kid, they had them, and that was a, a no-go. Because I wasn't actually allowed to hang out with people that were not in the cult. That was it. So that was a no. And I think they were pretty like cheap or free back then. Because it was just like serious weirdos like us. you know. And I don't mean, I mean that with all due respect. I, 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 I heard the love. I heard the love. <laughs> but, you know, modern day ones, I've seen them around. And like just, they're pretty expensive. And I'm a student. And I I budget how many socks I buy. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna I'm probably not gonna spend money to come hang out with other people. Like it would be cool to have the fellowship, but on the real, like I'm not I'm not putting out money for that. And also, I don't know. Maybe if I had the money, I might to support because it's cool. It's cool. It's just I don't ugh, I'm too cheap. I, hey, I don't blame you. It's not for everybody, you know. Do, do you go to them? Do you show up? I bet you're like a celebrity. You show up there and be like, "Oh, podcast me? N- no, 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 no. That no. that that is hilarious. In fact, I'm like so far down the list of people who matter in Star Trek fandom that like I am to be mocked and laughed at uh, uproariously. <laughs> what are we doing here? So uh, it, it's very cute that you think so, uh, but that's totally not the case. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some other little bits, and then we'll get into maybe talking about some some episodes. Have you ever worn a Star Trek uniform of any kind, or a T-shirt, or a Star Trek piece of clothing? I don't. I don't think I've ever owned anything like on the real. I would. I I get most of my clothing either. Uh, someone will purchase it for me because they'll be like, "Oh, Janae would wear this," and. And then it shows up and I'm like, I will wear that. Or I find it at thrift stores usually like, I mean, not like under clothing, but I don't have any Star Trek underclothing. but I suppose this would be the time to share if I did. But I think I'm totally for it. I've seen like, if I were to get a uniform and I've seen a couple of them, I don't want a cheap one. I want it to look really legit. And if I did, it would really, my home uniform is not, you know, the next generation, how they changed up the uniforms because Riker got fat. <laughs> Riker got fat. <laughs> do you, do you, no, seriously, you know what I'm talking about. The next generation, when they changed the uniforms from, from being like a onesie. Yeah, they went from like a onesie to the Mandarin so collar. The sweater thing. No, it, the Mandarin collar came with, if like some people had, most people, not everybody had like a two-piece like sweater thing. If you looked at it, it had a sweater thing and, because it had like a second piece because Riker got fat and they couldn't put him in the onesie anymore because his gut wouldn't hide. And you can also see the freaking corset he's wearing. I'm not trying to pick on the man, but like, he could have had a personal trainer. He was doing very well. Like, you know, at a certain point, it's not healthy. And he was a famous person. Like, come on, Riker. You're like, you could do better. Oh, they had to change up the whole uniform for him. That's why I'm mad about this. It's body positivity. Love yourself, Riker. You're beautiful just the way you are. But the uniform was so good. And then they had to change it. So <laughs> I, I, 
I have to divert here a minute just to point out the fact that in my research to getting ready for this show, I found your six minutes of stand-up on YouTube. Oh, no. And so, so that was... Oh, yeah. And I'm totally going to link to that on... Uh, oh, no. I don't know if that was even the... Listen, okay. I've only done stand-up a couple of times. And that time, I was trying to fill space. And I said, um, a bunch of times. And it makes me sound like I don't know how to public speak, which I do. I could go without... No, um, no, like Jay, I have. It's not a negative thing. I'm saying I'm oh. recommending to you that you need to do a Star Trek comedy routine. I think it would be gold. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like that little bit you did right there on Riker, that is gold. Three you should, people with You know how you can get out of... You know how you can get out of paying for a convention ticket? You should go on like the entertainment circuit and do like a Star Trek stand-up bit. I think you'd ki- I think you'd kill. I think you'd totally kill. You don't kill. even know. I have like one of the tabs of the many tabs I have open is like comedy. And I, I always try to push myself. I just need to go to some open mics. Like I've got invites to go places. I, I just, it's scary, man. I have a little social anxiety. That's all right. That's, that's, you know what? That is so common among Star Trek fans. And it's oh, common yeah. among the populace. Now, me, I don't have social anxiety. My problem is that I generally hate people. So that's, I, I don't know what that's categorized as, but, you know, I generally hate everyone. So, uh, um, people who like to put a tough twist on their social anxiety. It's not me, it's you guys. I'm not maybe. Psychoanalyzed. All right. So, what I've done, well, wait, before we, before we move on to this, I, I want to talk about how, how I found you and how you got on the show. People take a very strange route sometimes getting on a Trek profile. So there are some people who decide to email me and they just start emailing me uh, vociferously and frequently about why they want to tell their story. And some people uh, I just run into and, and, and invite them on. Uh, some people I, I see in a, a certain venue and I'm like, this person's fantastic. I'm going to invite them on the show. Sometimes I'm missing a certain kind of thing and I, I, I'm like, hey, I need like fans who are this way or that way. And, and I go out and I seek people. In your case, I found uh, some of your writing online about Star Trek and I invited you on. So I just want to start a little bit generally and then we'll zero in on a couple things and maybe talk about some episodes. But what induced you to start writing on Medium and on HuffPo about Star Trek? So I've been writing for a while and I actually just, I like medium as an outlet because it's, it's really beautiful. It's really easy to share and I trust it. And it's, it's been a really good resource. A lot of people have actually been able to find me through there. It's, it's been really good for networking, but specifically I've been writing stories about, or that link to the cult that I was raised in. And I've had this conversation over and over with my friend. I have a good friend that was also raised in the same cult. That's also a huge Star Trek fan. And he's out now as well. And we have a lot of conversations about just how Star Trek and, and how it impacted us and like what what it did and, and how crazy it is that we were even allowed to watch it considering how we grew up. And so I, I think it was just like I'd had this conversation enough times. And I also had this this essay that I'd written for my English final in my uh, college English class last semester, the semester before. And my professor from that class wrote me a recommendation and his recommendation talks about the essay and how it kind of like changed his whole approach and the way he thinks about things. He, he didn't, he didn't even really give that much merit to science fiction before. And now he understands, and he's like very dystopian. He, he he's worried about any technology I might work on because he thinks that we're going to have robot overlords and the, oh, right. <laughs> very, 
he's one of those. And he's right. We are going to have robot overlords, but why not make friends with them? And, you know, it's better to be someone working on them than someone working under them. But whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, he's worried about our robot overlords. So I, he, he saw this essay and it really it really changed his approach to things. And he's given the series a second chance now. And he's actually started watching it. And I just thought I should kind of share like the more the first part of, of the writing that you found me through was the more personal side of it, of how I grew up. And then the second half was actually just the essay without the MLA or APA formatting. And that's a little bit more universal because obviously in my English class, I didn't go into as many of the personal details in in my essay as I did. So it's sort of a, I think it just sort of had to come out. Okay. Well, one of the things I always do is I have my co-host, the M5 Multitronic Unit, go out and prepare a, a list of episodes that we might use to talk a little bit about Star Trek and, and your personal story with Star Trek. And, and one of the episodes that, that the M5 had selected for us was Covenant from Deep Space Nine. And I think it's obvious to those of us who, who know the episode that this is an episode that is very much about cults and about how faith, especially strong and unquestioned faith, makes people do things which are pretty questionable and pretty risky in many cases. So I think I want to start by asking you and interrogating a little bit on what you've made reference to this cult that you grew up in. So why don't you tell us what that was and and help us understand why it was a cult and why you call it that? So yeah, I think I think the second part of your question is probably the more interesting part. This is a cult that a lot of people have heard of. So I think I'd rather answer it in reverse order. Sure. Because a lot of people see these these people out and they they're very familiar with them, but they think, oh, they're they're just these nice people in suits and they seem so well behaved and there's there's nothing scary about them. <clears throat> they're a cult for a lot of reasons. Um, Who are we talking about? I guess, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, but okay. I kind of wanted to say that. Yeah, um, Jehovah's Witnesses. They are a worldwide organization and they're a cult for a lot of reasons. You know, I think one of the big reasons right now that's in the media is that if if someone abuses a child. It is reported to the elders, and it, it must be, as part of their doctrine, reported to the elders. And the elders know about it, and they keep a record, and they send that record to what is known as the Society, which is the organization behind the whole thing. And they're, they have headquarters all across the world, and they have one in New York. And my point is, there's this huge file kept, and they, but they never report any of it to the police, because they have a rule. And you can go on their website and check this out. It's called the two-witness rule. And in order for somebody to be guilty of doing something, two or more witnesses, which they have a definition of what that means, have to have seen it. So if a child says, this person molested me, then it doesn't really, they, they don't get in trouble for it because it's just one child. It's just one person saying it. So in Australia, I think it was, uh, there was over a thousand cases that they hadn't reported that they got found out about because court stuff happened. And it's it's quite bad, but it's just it's part of their doctrine. And the the other part is that they will separate families and they tell parents, you know, not only are parents supposed to be physically abusive toward children, they encourage parents to use the rod and not spoil the child. They used to hang a paddle at the kingdom hall I went to in between the two bathrooms like your parents would drag you to the back and like beat your like So a, a kingdom <laughs> hall is is a meeting place. Oh. They don't call it church. And that's the other thing. They have like their own language. They they have very specific words for things. And they don't participate in holidays. They don't participate in, you know, sports or the Pledge of Allegiance or military service. 
or giving blood or getting blood. In fact, they, they've, they have published, they have publications that they put out regularly and they featured children who have uh, been basically martyred, like under the age of 18, people who have refused blood transfusions and died because of it, knowing that that would save their life. They have, and they, they published these children as the faithful. But my own mom won't talk to me because of this cult. She's on the inside of it. I'm on the outside of it because I don't agree with them. And I, you know, I was, um, <clears throat> I, I was a victim of uh, molesting and grooming before the age of 18 by a member of the cult. And I was punished for that, which is just. My goodness. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really messed up. Um, but my mom is still in. She won't speak to me. And they had told her to treat me like I'm dead because that's that's part of the doctrine. Like, so when you reported it to your to your mom, mm-hmm. did did she ask if you you had two witnesses? Is that is that well, in, in how I understand case, how it works? In my case, it was different. I was it wasn't that I didn't have two witnesses. I was punished for it. They they agreed that it happened, but I was punished for what I was complicit in because I was 14 when a 15 51 year old man met me, and then he groomed me. In that he he planned. I, I'm sure you know the definition of grooming when you you find a, a minor child and you control basically their mind to get them to do things. And and then I was complicit in everything basically. And but it happened before I was 18, you know. And so <clears throat> I was punished for that because I was a sinner. So I I was molested and then I was punished because I, I did admit that I that that happened. So there were two witnesses. He admitted it. I admitted it because we got found out. He was married and he ended up dying, actually, during my senior year of high school. It was it was really, really messed up, but they still have it all on record. And and the, the truth is, like, the three elders that had known me since I was an infant interviewed me specifically about all of the sexual acts that he performed on or with me. And I had to sit for hours explaining these acts to these men. And then after that, after sessions of this, they decided that I was guilty and bad and punishable. So I was a victim of molestation, and then I was punished for being a victim of that. I was cut off from my family, and no one was allowed to speak to me. Including your mother? That, that's what this fellowship is. Yeah, if I lived outside the house, so once I moved out of the house, then my mom wouldn't even speak to me. And now she won't speak to me at all because I've spoken against, I've said, I've come out and said I don't agree with this stuff publicly, which makes me apostate. And that means she can never speak to me again, and that there is no redemption. And that basically it's forever in, in their minds. That's Jehovah's Witnesses doctrine. My goodness. It's I, a cult. I, I don't even know what to say <laughs> it's about a cult. that. It's, uh... it's a cult. Sorry, that got really heavy. Sorry, sorry. No, no, it's it's okay. And and I've had people on that have told some some very profound stories. And what's interesting to me is that of course we're talking about these stories through the lens of Star Trek. And in a lot of cases we see in these stories that that were told through the science fiction matinee sort of show that we have, we come across these aliens where they have this monoculture mm-hmm. all believe so strongly in a or B or C. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nine times out of 10, whenever you come across that kind of group in a, in a star Trek episode, it's because there's one guy who either challenges it or never believed in the first place. And the whole story is about, you know, what happens. And that's what happened in covenant is, you know, Dukat doesn't believe it. And, and but other people did, and they ended up doing things that were not in their own self-interest. And it sounds like in this case, you know, your mom certainly cutting you out of her life. I mean, that's you know the most painful thing I can imagine uh, for for someone to do is to cut their child out of their life. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. And th- that's I think that's why the Borg like really appeals because like um, 
on on Reddit, there's a community of XJWs that is actually growing every day. We're getting huge. There's so many people that are leaving. And because the Jehovah's Witnesses have a, a logo now, they have this little thing that's like a, a big JW, and then underneath it, it has a dot .org because it's the organization and it's, you know, dot .org, whatever. But so in the XJW community, we refer to them as the Borg because they're, it's, it's so uncanny how, like, because when people are in it, they're so in it that they'll give up their own children, they, that they will let terrible things happen and not go to the police. They will internalize all of this guilt and the shame and they're, they're isolated. And they're, the other thing is like, if you, if you were to speak to my mom and you were to bring up any point about Jehovah's Witnesses, there would be like an automatic response that she had already learned at the Kingdom Hall to say to you, like, just like the Borg, just like, she basically like resistance is futile. Like you will be assimilated. Like my mom will just try to preach to you. Like it's so creepy. You know what I mean? And it's, it's also like super similar and being able to watch that, being able to see how destructive that is and how powerful that human nature and, and that spirit that we have is because all of Star Trek was humanity overcoming like these ridiculous obstacles in space, like these, these things much bigger than us were us being able to overcome because we had worked together as a world federation and as an inner, like an interplanetary federation, you know, like the federation of planets that could only be achieved after a world, basically world peace. Everybody on this planet had to be fed and taken care of before we were off into the stars. That's so hopeful. And like Jehovah's Witnesses teach that like doom is tomorrow. Armageddon is on its way. Like it's and there's no point in investing anything in this world because it's it's wicked and it's going to be destroyed. And God's earth is the only like God's future is the only possibility. And there's a very, very small percentage of people, very small, that are going to survive. And it's it's very Borg like and I, I love that Star Trek has that power. And you were talking about the episode of the Covenant where it was you were saying who didn't believe? Well, Ducat was the the leader, and he actually didn't believe it himself. And in fact, he mm. was going to pull a sort of a, a quote unquote Jim Jones maneuver and be like, "I think our cult, we need to kill ourselves and take these pills." <laughs> and meanwhile, he had the pill that didn't actually do anything, and he was going to give the, the real pills to everybody else. And it turned out that he was, you know, phony baloney. And fortunately, Kira, Major Kira, saw through it all. But the the question that I want to ask you is is I, I hear the story you're telling, and it's it's heartbreaking. Can you even enjoy an episode that has Borg in it? I mean, can you watch it and and adjudicate it in your own head? Can you watch like I Borg or Q Who? I mean, it freaks me out. Or does it bring up too many painful memories for you? When it comes on, like I definitely when I rewatched the Next Generation with my partner, when the Borg showed up, I was oh, like gripping onto him and like kind of cowering a little bit. It's it's not the easiest thing. It does definitely bring up some stuff, but at the same time, you know, I'm. I'm about to turn 34 years old. I've I've Happy had some birthday. time to like. Oh, thank you, thank you. I've had some time to live and process, and and I'm actually like I'm on a really good path. And not to spoil it for anybody, it's been a while since it came out. You know, like we got Captain Picard back. If you're strong enough, there's a spoiler warning at the front of the episode, <laughs> so don't worry about that. You can't spoil anything as far as Trek profiles. <laughs> if you're strong enough, you know, like Picard, they were able to get him back. He's still a little. There was like a little residual, like, you know, there was some stuff. Yep. But it was just like, you have to be like those people you really respect. 
there, there are people that have made their way out, follow them. It's less like, it's scary. I get that reaction watching a scary movie, but it's also like, it's okay. I know the end. I know, I know we win. <laughs> I don't have to be afraid. But one of the things that we learned in Next Gen from Picard is that even though he was extracted from the Borg Collective, we saw in first contact that he could never really be rational when the when the Borg were involved. And he sort of basically he lost his he lost himself because the Borg were attacking and he kind of made some decisions which were not necessarily the sort of rational Picard decisions we would have expected. I assume you probably still struggle with the same thing or, or is that not the case? I don't think that logic and emotion are entirely separate. And I think that that is actually a big overarching lesson that we learn from Spock and all of all of the Vulcan characters is that there is an immense power. In fact, there's so much emotion behind all of it. It's just being able to to harness and and control it and, and use it powerfully and in the right direction. And so you know, maybe I need to stay away from them. Maybe I, I can't be up close. It, it's kind of destructive if I'm there. But I, I think just like Jean-Luc is very applicable in other situations, he's still a really good captain in other ways. And I think that there's just other ways that I can apply myself. I don't think people have accused me of being angry. <laughs> and I, I think, yeah, I'm still like, I, I think it's still a little too... uh it's a little too enraging because it's still happening. And so I can't, I can't fully disconnect my emotion from, from what, what they're doing. But I can definitely learn lessons about what I can do and how I can move forward. You know what I mean? So it's, it's still, yes, it is still a weak spot for me, but it's something I can overcome. It sounds like you have some very, some very positive inclinations with where you're going with your life, even though you've had a pretty rough history. I think that the rough history has actually made me a lot a lot better. I think uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you first got to know the crew, any crew, you're like not that interested in them. But after you go through this crazy journey with them, and sometimes they make bad decisions. Sometimes you hate their decisions. And especially with like Deep Space Nine characters and a lot of the, the more conflicted characters. But that is what grows them and what makes them rich and deep and and powerful and interesting. And I, I don't think that I have negative emotions toward my path i'm i'm actually kind of (laughs) glad it sounds crazy to be like glad that i went through crazy stuff but it's like i've traveled the galaxy and i know it's out there and most people have not at this point and i'm just like it's crazy (laughs) but i i don't i wouldn't take it back you know i am i'm here i got here because i went on this journey and i wouldn't have encountered the wormholes i did i wouldn't have been here now if i wouldn't have been there then wouldn't mess with the space-time continuum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's it's quite wonderful that you have a a sense of humor about it, and you seem like you're in a much better place than you were in the past, for sure. Well, definitely. That's that's the whole point of even examining this is to examine the the gulf, the difference. Because I'm I'm pursuing my dreams right now. A lot of them are very inspired by Star Trek. Uh, I want to talk about that in a minute. I think I want to first talk about another episode with you, which is Who Watches the Watchers from TNG, which is when this pre-sort of space flight, pre-technology in many ways civilization suddenly realizes that there's the spaceship in orbit and one of the people goes up to the spaceship and sees what's going on. 
and learns what's actually happening, that it's a great big wide world out there. And there's a, a whole nother side to the world and the universe than what they believe back on their planet. And she says, My, you're, you're gods. And he's like, I, Picard, you know, he, he's like, he's like I am not a god. <laughs> you, know, you used to live in a cave. Like <laughs> I, I am not the god we're looking for. <laughs> you know, and I am not any kind of supreme being. Yeah. And, and he basically uh, convinces her through logic that she's, just she just needs to adapt to this new reality and and help them out and retrieve the people that need that they need to retrieve and and set things aright. Do you find that you want to talk to other JWs about your experience, or do you just give them a wide berth? Uh, how, how do you feel like you want to engage with with JWs now at all, or if at all? Well, it's kind of a, a complicated question because active Jehovah's Witnesses right now it's against their doctrine to have anything to do with me. In fact, I don't even think they can listen to this podcast. I think what I've said has been apostate material because I've I've said that I'm apostate. So I think actually if a Jehovah's Witness was listening, they probably already like they may have like just been like, oh, I, I can't. Or at least they're like they're having a conscience problem right now. They're like, I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't actually be listening to this. So Jehovah's Witnesses are um, they're kind of trained to like block out anything like they're allowed to use the Internet, but they're only allowed to go to the Internet that that the org has their website <laughs> like i'm not even kidding it's it's ridiculous but um to xjw's i definitely communicate because like i said there's a huge a huge number of us on on reddit and i always look for them i find them a lot on medium i find them I- anywhere i can actually and i have a lot of meaningful conversations because they have you know similar stories i i had someone share with me recently on reddit the fact that they were like, yeah, I basically had the same kind of childhood and the same experience with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I went back to school when I was 34. And he's like, right now I'm pursuing my my PhD and just kind of told me how, like, don't give up. And even if you don't get into this program, you know, you'll get into another one. You, you got this kid. And it was really great. It was <laughs> it was really encouraging. I get a, a lot of love from strangers that offer to be my adopted family it's nice. <laughs> for, for the ones that are shunning me yeah it's it's actually it's it's really uh it's really encouraging and uplifting and there's a lot of love in this world and i think that's kind of the biggest message i would give to anybody like questioning leaving the jw's anybody on the edge there is is just to know that it's not true about the world being full of like wicked evil people it's there's there's so many good people there's you know it it, it is a balance but the things inherent in our nature that they've told you are all evil are also you know there's charity there's there's forgiveness there's there's love there's all these things that humans are just naturally inclined to do humans actually have natural responses to help each other and that's part of who we are too so like it's it's not all terrible there's like a lot of good so much good out there i think that's one of the positive messages of star trek as well is that mm-hmm. that the world is a great place and we're better off when we realize we can help each other and when we can work together to do things. And sometimes we choose to forget that and it makes it a a negative experience for people when that happens. So my question for you though, is when you're in a, in a public place and you see those folks out there handing out the literature, which is, I understand is a very JW thing to do is to be standing like in airports and in train stations, right? Passing out literature. Do you, do you feel, uh, do you give them a wide berth? Do you try to engage with those folks? Uh, how do you handle that? It's a very modern JW thing to do. It used to be that they would go to people's doors and they would, they also started like calling people before I left, but I left like 
it's been about 14 or so years. It may be longer. I would have to do some. No, it's that's about it. Almost 15. Whew. Anyway, uh, so it's a modern JW thing to do. And it's so weird because they just sort of stand there listlessly. And it, we used to have these like rigorously prepared sermons that we would knock on people's doors and it would match all of the new literature, like whatever it is. We'd have some like thing to say and like a scripture to read anyway. I started knocking on people's doors when I was like really little. Like I was reading at three and I was like reading scriptures to people and like guilting them into keeping their door open because there's this adorable child. And then Jesus said, anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so when I see them, I have like, I have like very mixed emotions. I have approached them before and I've said like, hey, you know, that they hide, you know, the stuff about pedophiles and the stuff about the two witness rule and they just they have like these like I said they have these like programmed responses it's like if you if you encountered a Borg in the wild that's like kind of like plugged into a little Borg port like, <laughs> they're like I don't know they're like beep boop <laughs> and they're just <laughs> chilling there I don't know like they're not you know and I, I've I've been kind of like I've seen them sort of near some of my schools and I've I've talked to people at the school and been like can we have them removed and they're like no it's you know they're they're in between us and a public train station we really can't I've said I don't feel comfortable with them. Like I'm a victim of 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 then of the church's tomb movement, if you sure. will, and I don't feel safe around them at all. But I have actually considered doing my own form of cart witnessing, which is what it's called, and like getting a sign that just kind of briefly explains a little about what they've done, <laughs> and just standing there with like some information on how to like what to look up to know the truth about them. I have had a lot of people, you know, I think kind of my writing is is a little bit more effective because I've had a lot of people read that and be like, oh, okay, they're really dangerous. They're really not, they're not safe. They're not friendly. I don't want to deal with these people. I'm not going to take their literature and I am going to warn my friends. And that's, that's kind of my mission is just to get people to realize how dangerous they are. So I will put up links to all of your Medium articles, your HuffPo and, and all the other stuff. Uh, on, yeah, I haven't posted on the, the Huffington Post in a minute, but I need to get more stuff over there. Oh, no, it was great. Um, I was uh, especially interested to read the, the story of your brother, um, <laughs> who, who was trans and, and how they, they transitioned. <laughs> and that reminded me of another Star Trek episode, of course, which is The Outcast. So every, everything sort of reminds me of Star Trek episodes. It's uh, really weird, you know, when you when you do this kind of show, how this happens. Yeah, but. I think my brother liked Dax, too, when he was younger. So um, I'm trying to go to school for bioengineering, actually. And what do you want to bioengineer? Do you want to make some Borgs or what? Bioengineering, like, kind of encompasses a lot. But I think that there are solutions in technology that have not even remotely been attempted to been explored that, like, involve women's health. And that's kind of what I want to do is I want to find that intersection um, because women's health is just like no one pays attention to it. There's really no there's no money in it. And I really I want to go into research, which is stupid. I won't make any money, but I think it sounds really cool and really interesting. So I that's what I'm like sort of trying to do. I'm trying to get my finish my um, and undergraduate right now. I went to like the city college because, like I said, I didn't have a very good high school education and I went to this very inexpensive city college here in Chicago. And it's, it's actually been a really cool experience. It's, uh, there's a bunch of campuses and they, you know, like this school has a food bank once a month in, mm -hmm. in one of its like main areas. And they, they do so much, like if it's cold and they shut down the school because it's cold, they open it to the homeless population. That's so wonderful. They'll have a place to go, you know, and it's like, it's named after leaders that are important. Like, 
like Harold Washington and Malcolm X, you know, it's, it's like, it's really, it's a, it's a great system here in Chicago. So I just finished up there and I'm hoping to transfer to a, a four-year institute. And that's why I'm trying to get a scholarship because, uh, well, I'm <laughs> totally broke, but I have really, really big ambitions that are not going to be very lucrative. So, <laughs> Hey, you know what? Maybe someday you'll be remembered along with Newton, Einstein, and Surak. Well, that would be, I don't, I don't necessarily need to, to be remembered in that way. I think, because I was thinking about it, you know, and there's, there's important issues, there's big issues. And if you're going to devote your life to something, if you're going to work as hard as you can, which this is what I was trying to do, I feel like it has to be something worth it, you know, yeah. worth all that. Cause that's my whole life. That's everything I'm going to do from now until I retire, which I'll probably be mad old when I do. And that's like most of my good years. Anyway, um, <laughs> I thought, I don't know what all I can work on, but I've always had like fascinations with things and I like researching and I kind of settled on this because you don't have to decide one part of science. You can do all the science. And it's also probably the area I thought I could make the biggest impact in. And I thought about like, you know, we're moving forward, we're changing like our energy consumption and we're, we're possibly going to other planets and we're, we're doing all these, like we might colonize other planets, not just going to them, but like creating biospheres and like, it's awesome. But how, again, how are we going to do that when one out of 10 of us is suffering like I am and people are saying it's normal and you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's one of those things that just needed to be solved to help us move forward. I've said this in the show before, but I think one of the things that unites all Star Trek fans is a belief that, that humanity's best days are in front of us. Yes, exactly. It's like, it's me being hopeful, but. I don't really know how to be like a little bit. So I, I, I kind of go full throttle on things. That's, that's I, sort of my upbringing. But hey, my yeah, friend, exactly. I think it's beautiful. You know, I mean, how many Thank people, you. you know, I think it's almost retrograde in a way to, to say that the best days are ahead. Because if you think about it, how many people do you and I know? And we've never talked outside of this podcast. I and mean, this is the first time we've ever spoken. True. I will bet that you know a lot of people who would be like, that's it. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Like right now. You know, this is the end of everything right well, now. Well, the people I know, don't, they don't they don't believe in hell. They do believe in hand baskets, but they're not really afraid. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. Like, you know, yeah, people yeah, say no, things like, you know, no. it's never been as bad as it is right now. The and end times, the end is ever closer. It's, oh, look at all these signs, how wicked the world is. And, you know, like if you actually look into the statistics, if you Google it, you'll realize that like the over, like the world poverty rate has dropped like significantly. It was like yeah. 38%. Now it's like 15% or something. It's like the, the child uh, mortality, infant mortality has dropped significantly worldwide. Like we have extended lifespans. We have shortened hunger. We like, we're, I mean, we're, we're also like majorly screwing up our environment. Don't get me wrong, but we're also looking at it and going, okay, here are solutions. We can fix this. It's not too late. And if, if we work together, like, the most ridiculous thing, and I think the biggest thing that I saw in Star Trek that I know is possible is we have the resources to feed everyone. And it's so sad that people starve, you know what I mean? Like, everyone could have a home. Everyone could be taken care of. And if we all did that and we worked together, we use our collective power and intellect and ability, then how much more we could get accomplished if we weren't fighting each other in the street and fighting each other for resources and fighting just to live? Like, it's been really scary. Like, Parts of your life that are scary make you do scary things. And, like, we don't have to have that. <laughs> we can end all of that, you know? And I think that, like, that, I know that's, like, super idealistic, but I think that's no, also, like, fine. the direction that we're moving in. That's, like, slowly. 
the way that we're all, and we can fix our problems. We humans have made a mess, yes, but we've also made some great and interesting and amazing inventions, and we can make it better. We can fix it still. Like, we're, we'll, like, find some duct tape or something. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. I think that that's, you know, un, unbounded optimism, I think, is a hallmark of all Star Trek fans, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, why not? <laughs> No, I, I, I think that's true. And, and that, that unbridled optimism is really at the core of all Star Trek. And I think it's something that's at the core of people who are forward looking and thinking about what the future will bring and how it's going to be a better place than it is today. You know, and I, I really believe that. Uh, and I realize it's, it's not the cool thing to do. I mean, we're supposed to be talking about how the, you know, the, the world's going to hell and everything is terrible. And I don't mean hell in like the religious sense. I'm just talking in the colloquial sense, but. <laughs> I, I think that uh, better times are ahead. I, I really believe that, you know, and that's one of the reasons that uh, I'm a Star Trek fan. And I know that that's not cool uh, right now, but uh, um, it's so necessary. It's so important. It's it's actually like, like I was talking about, you know, how powerful fiction really is. Mm -hmm. And because these stories that we bring into our homes and that we sit, we sit down and we watch, like they become our, like our history, our, our stories you know like uh, i i tweeted my story at all the the cast and crew of the next generation i don't know if any i think all of them were just like okay thanks but like you know they they were so much a part of my family and and my yeah. my story and my identity and i think that that's what fiction does and, and what these stories do for us and it's important to have a part of your identity that is unbridled hopeful because obviously there's a part of me that's more realistic. Obviously I've been through some things. I've talked about some of the things I'm not, yep. um, I'm not delusional. Like it's been rough. I've spent time been homeless. I haven't been carless when I was homeless. So I should say that like, it wasn't that rough. Like I slept in the car, like it sucked, but it wasn't that bad. Like it was winter, but I'm fine. I was fine. I was younger. <laughs> I was fine. Wow. <laughs> you know, like stuff, like so, I've been like some stuff has happened, but it doesn't, and I'm not going to say I've always had a super positive outlook. There's been some people that have really influenced me that way. And again, those have mostly been strangers, like people that have come into my life at random and have just shown me ridiculous amounts of kindness. And those people are just like out there, you know, it's not, it's not like the J-Dubs say. <laughs> I want to turn at this point, Janae, and actually talk about the whole, because um, we've been talking about particular issues and particular things related to certain episodes. And the reason I invited you to be on the show was because I'd read your piece about how Star Trek helped you escape the JWs in, in your terms. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what was it in Star Trek that made you question this religion that you had been brought into since birth and, and really raised in? Well, I think a, a big portion of it had to do with their approach to civilizations unlike themselves. and their respect for ways of living and, and even religious practices that didn't line up with their own. And then I think the underlying theme or the, the overarching theme really of how science enabled all of the things to be possible and how, even if it was like, you know, kind of laughable when people believed in things that, you know, believe things were magic or God that were actually science, they, they would, you know, they would still be kind to those people and they would still afford those people respect but it was obvious that science was basically the answer and 
And I think, I think that that really held a stark contrast between what the Jehovah's Witnesses taught, because as you know, and as mentioned in my article, they, they don't even believe in uh, the theory of evolution. And it, it's, it's silly to say believe in. It's, you know, they, they don't even recognize or acknowledge the overwhelming body of evidence to indicate that, you know, evolution by natural selection is the process by which not only did we arrive, but, you know, we have common ancestors. They, they don't look at any of it. They don't look at carbon dating. Like, the things that I've learned in biology one and two and in chemistry just in basic college courses have shown me beyond a shadow of a doubt like that that the science backs up these these basic tenets and these basic principles and understanding of our biological world around us and that's something that like star trek would have been like yeah exactly like we we use science to understand stuff and i i think that it sort of planted that seed of like well, science, science is really cool. <laughs> you know, it, it is, was, it is, it, it is. And everybody on the, on the show that was, you know, the, the best, the best people were super in, everybody was into science. Like it was, it was a scientific exploration. The, the journey and everything about it was like rooted in this, this curiosity, which again is the antithesis of what Jehovah's Witnesses believe in, because they believe in like staying in this shell. They consider anyone outside of it worldly and worldly is bad. And you can't, associate with worldly people they're they're dangerous and so it's it it presented this like stark contrast that was actually very very healthy and sort of rooted me in this idea that like science is cool and exploration is cool and my curiosity isn't bad or evil i i think it it was really super inspiring without without being too much like it 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 also was just kind of fun because it was aliens and space and phasers and ships (laughs) ships <laughs> oh no and, and we love that stuff but i'll i'll let you in on a little secret you know it's in my my last job i had to do a lot of hiring and one of the things i always looked at when i hired people was people who were curious about the world who had a, a, an intellectual curiosity because if they were curious that meant they were interested and they were if they were interested they could be trained if they weren't curious they couldn't be trained in anything and so we generally couldn't help those people and they wouldn't be helpful to others in the workplace. And so it was, it's one of the hallmarks, but I want to press you a little bit, not in the interest of trying to raise the temperature or be a jerk, but I want to try to get to the truth of, of a few things. So I'm going to offer you some provocations and you know, you can tell me to take a step back if it's uncomfortable for you. Science is awesome and fantastic. It helps us understand the physical world, but it does have its limits in that it doesn't necessarily tell us how can I live my best life? What is beauty? What is just? Should I be with this partner and have a good life? Or should I hold back from that partner and send them on their way and go for another partner instead and maybe wait for a better situation? What is the best way to to be the best version of myself? So sometimes science doesn't have answers for that. But those things are touched on in Star Trek in other ways. And I bring this up in a very topical way because in the most recent episode of Discovery, Michael Burnham said, science is my religion. And I thought, well, that, that science doesn't answer a lot of questions, which are really important for living a good life. It's, 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 it's important and awesome, but it's not enough. What would you say to that? It depends on like what what kind of science are we talking about? And we know through science that um, our memories are fallible. And every time that we go and examine a memory, it's just like touching a negative. And we kind of like 
screw it up and it's not it's not the same memory when we put it away and and we literally just like messed it up and changed it and got our own new feelings on it um whereas we we can record something and we can be very scientific in our process of like recording data and we can actually like what do you trust more your memory or a camera if you have an eyewitness or you have a camera with like sound recording and like a clear face shot like enhance 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 and it really works right like <laughs> So I, I would say, like, I could argue a lot about, like, it containing truth, but there's also, how much do you, how how much have you studied, like, maybe, like, quantum physics or, like, things things that are a little, like, theoretical in, in nature? So, okay, that's a good question. So <laughs> there, there, are some, there are some branches. There's a quote from a book that I, I'm trying to find that I would like to, to present, but, but please. Okay. I just want to let you know that one of the guests I had on another show was an astrophysicist, Dr. Ethan Siegel. He's a science blogger for Forbes. And one of the things we got into was talking about quantum physics. And my question was, is the universe deterministic? And we got into this whole thing about, you know, are transporters killing machines? And, you know, can you really like actually transport somebody? Is that actually possible? And one of the things that he talked about is that Quantum mechanics tells us that the universe is essentially unknowable at a quantum level in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The really, you know, subatomic level that, that the universe is not deterministic. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a very beautiful concept, right? So if the, yes. if the universe at a subatomic level is, is not deterministic, that opens up some very interesting possibilities for how people might interpret that data in the world. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, there's all kinds of questions about do humans have free will, for instance. And some people might say, well, where's the biological determination of that? Well, if the very substance, the very basis of everything that is matter is not deterministic, but yet we're deterministic beings living in a non-deterministic, made of non-deterministic material, that's pretty mind-blowing. And you think, well, that opens the possibility for further exploration. Not saying there's an answer there, not saying I know what it is, but I think that it's certainly intriguing. And I think that's the kind of stuff that when I think about the kinds of things that Star Trek wrestles with, it's the kind of stuff that I find really interesting and the kind of stuff that I, I, I really enjoy. But, you know, so, please, please tell me your thoughts. On, on the subject, there's a, there's a really good book by, uh, have you read Carlo Rovelli? I don't know that. Have you one. heard of Carlo so Carlo Rovelli is, um, he does physics, I think. Is it quantum physics? I can't remember what kind of physics right now. I'm sorry. But look up Carlo Rovelli. You should put that in the link. And he did this this book, my favorite of, of his books. He's done several and he's very popular. Anyway, one of them is called The Order of Time. And in The Order of Time, he's talking about this person, uh, one of Einstein's friends, Michael Besso, dying and him writing a letter to the sister of, of this person that died, his friend. And in, in it, he says that Michael has left this strange world a little before me. But this is the important part. He says, this means nothing. People like us who believe in physics know that the distinction made between past, present, and future is nothing more than a persistent, stubborn illusion. And actually, the more, like, the more you study, I think, and I don't know anything about it. I have no basis for understanding any of this. I have just barely finished my first calculus class. I am not into physics. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I find a lot of comfort in books on the subject, on studying it in my spare time. And I, I've just found, a, just it's very comforting. It's not, 
it's not comforting in the sense that I think that there is some overarching power, but I do think that there might be some overarching order. And I think that there is humans find amazing comfort in patterns. Roger that. And I think that the universe is a, is a pattern. We do. I mean, we love music because it's uh, it's a predictable pattern. We we literally that's all we are. It's just a, a weird repeating desperate to make more of ourselves genetic pattern. <laughs> a very complicated set of layer of bacteria and etc. But I think that it's comforting, not in that, not in that necessarily there are like crazy spiritual possibilities, but that again, there is some divine, beautiful order, not necessarily of of an individual's making, but it would be predictable if you were able to scale out far enough, if that makes sense. And we may never be able to, but I think it's that quest to to scale out to understand more of it that that drives us and, and makes us better i think we're in complete agreement on this because i think that that curiosity that you have about these topics is part of one of the lessons that we can get from star trek which is that curiosity about the universe and questioning our beliefs and interrogating the world and thinking clearly about what's going on around us is part of being a well-rounded person and part of trying to live the fullest version of ourselves. And it actually brings up this weird nexus between science and philosophy, which I think is in a lot of Star Trek, especially in Picard-centered TNG Star Trek, when you have both of these things overlapping. When I was in college and I was very young when I went to college, I studied some philosophy and I did papers and read books and, you know, I did my stuff and it was fine. And then when I was much older, I went back to some of the stuff that I had read when I was in college, the same books, uh, particularly I'm thinking of Plato's Republic, uh, the Waterfield translation. And when I read that as like a 35 year old guy and a 40 year old guy, I had very different reaction to it than I did when I was in college. And when I was reading about Socrates, the character Socrates, not the historical figure, as, as Plato describes him to us in that book. I was thinking about what does this actually mean for us? How should we live our lives? The, one, of the, one of the shorthand scribbles that people always have at Socrates is, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think that's a, a message that's in a lot of Star Trek, right? Is to interrogate yourself and to ask questions about why do you believe these things? What do you think is true? What are these deeper issues? And to really live deliberately and not just like ride the waves on a rowboat, you know, without any oars in the water and getting carried about to and fro. And that's, that's the secret to a, to a good life. And uh, it's a lesson that I learned from Plato's Republic. It's a lesson I learned from Star Trek, which to me is amazing that these two things that are in these entirely different spheres have so much in common because they're, they're getting at something that I think is profoundly true. And it's something that touched me, but you know, we all take our own, our own lessons from it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I just went on a total diatribe there. I apologize. No, I agree with you. I think I think you're right. There's so much philosophy in the next generation especially and and I think they touch a lot on like religion and religious bias. Like I think they're a little more direct on it on DS9, but I agree with you. And I think that philosophy is really important. I'm definitely a fanboy and I'm sure I'm putting this person on a pedestal, but I think that Gene Roddenberry and the idea behind Star Trek and the 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 original purpose and the original vision for the franchise is is 
very philosophical. And, you know, I, I think you, we've talked about some of the things I touched on in the, the essay that I wrote, which was at the bottom of the article I wrote about the, the different people involved in the projects and the, the reason that they stayed involved, you know, and the, the first African-American ast- astronaut, female astronaut saying that she'd been inspired by Michelle Nichols, you know, like there was, it, it was really quite a big deal. Like the first May Jameson interracial on screen. Huh? May Jameson, I think yes. is the astronaut. Yeah. Uh, I, you're, I'm terrible with names. I should know these people's names better. I, I know some. Well, I just know my listeners and they're like, they're going to tweet at me if I don't say yeah. it. So <laughs> they'll be cross the with me if I, if I uh, don't bring my Trek knowledge to the game. Well, and these are important just historical people anyway. And oh, it, totally. The, I'm sure your listeners are aware of that, that story posted by the oatmeal about the reason that Gene Roddenberry went on to do what he did. Oh, the, the Pan Am story. Yeah, the Pan Am story. I'm I'm sure it's been uh, tons of other places. I love the way the oatmeal illustrated it. I know that he just found the story and illustrated. It. I'm not saying that giving him credit for it. Just yeah. And those people who don't know what the oatmeal is, he's a he's a, basically an internet comic guy. Not like a comedian, but he he writes he draws comics and they're they're quite hilarious. And he did one about Star Trek, and that that's I think what uh, you're referring to. Am I right? That is correct. That is what the oatmeal is. He's a very talented individual. I really enjoy. I really enjoy how he illustrates that story. It's it's emotional for me when I read it. I always I always tear up. I think it's just absolutely gorgeous, and I think that it it speaks to how powerful media is and how powerful these screens are. Well, I, I think though you're you're bringing no. up something which I think is a lesson also in a lot of Star Trek, which is that looking for allies is an incredibly positive thing. And, you know, so many of the alien species that we see in Star Trek, you know, they want to do their own thing and be their own way and just sort of survive on their own. And they, they only realize through many mistakes and hard times that, that we're better together and working with the people around you is a better strategy, you know? And I think bringing those lessons into your life is a great thing as, as you said. Yeah, and and that like that being able to like reach out and because they they trust people, they trust so many people. Like, there's so many things that happen, and there's so many. There's times that yeah, they get screwed over, they get captured by aliens, but usually they they like use reason to get out of it, or they figure out and try to help somebody. Like, I don't know. There's it's a very different approach to what again how I was raised, and and this whole like approach of like fearing everyone and distrusting everyone. But yeah, it's it's a great lesson to take with you because the more allies that you make in life i don't know how it is in real life i don't think i've lived real life yet <laughs> like sure, i yeah. said i'm in school, i think you've lived so. a realer life than many other people well i mean parts of it but i don't think i've i don't think i've properly i think the term is adulting but i don't really like the term it sounds kind of like and it sounds cringy. a little amateur hour doesn't it it's kind of cringy but i don't i don't think there are any like established utilities in my name right now <laughs> it's okay I don't have my own Netflix. I'm still using someone else's login. All right. So. We, we won't talk about that. We, we, we shan't bring that up. <laughs> We're not right? really grown up until we do that. The, the Netflix overlords might be listening. <laughs> so, Janae, I have to tell you that I've enjoyed talking to you. But the M5, my co-host, is signaling me that it is now time for the Kobayashi Maru. Oh, no. The Kobayashi Maru is a challenging and difficult test, cunningly prepared by the M5. Should you not only survive the test, but pass it as well, the M5 will award you an honorary Star Trek title. Are you ready, Janae Fowler? Uh, I believe so. All right. 
M5, load the Kobayashi Maru simulation and prepare to record Janae's responses. Simulation loaded and ready. Question one. Who's the snazzier dresser, Neelix or Quark? Quark, definitely. Which Riker makes better omelets, William or Thomas? William. T. Earl Grey Hot or Ractagino? Ooh, Earl Grey Hot. Which is the worst affliction, the Teplin Blight from Deep Space Nine or the Phage from Voyager? Uh, the Phage. Domjot with the Nausicans or Sunkatse with the Norcadians? Sunkatse with the Norcadians. Outstanding. Simulation complete, M5. Please compute the results and tell us if our guest has passed the Kobayashi Maru. Analyzing results. Janae, I am pleased to tell you that the M5 has calculated that you have passed the Kobayashi Maru simulation. Congratulations, my friend. You did it. Wow. Happiest day of my life. I can't believe this. I studied so hard. (laughs) (laughs) All the hours I put in, they were worth it. And now... The M5, who has analyzed your answers, will award you an honorary Star Trek title on behalf of our podcast. M5, what title shall we award our guest? Jen A is awarded the title of Writer-in-Residence at the Tellerite Academy of Debate and Rhetoric. So congratulations. There you go. I don't get to be in science? <sighs> well, you can write about science. You're the Writer-in-Residence. You can write about science. You can write about anything you want. Well, I'm in debate as well, apparently, so I will argue this. All right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Janae, please tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation. Well, you can find my writing on Medium, and I always try to respond to responses. If you just type in my name, I think the internet will find me, like my first and last name. And if not, I, the links will be in your show. So that's one way. <laughs> you can tweet at me. I sometimes check my Twitter. I would say, like, Every couple times a week. I'm terrible. I don't know. Don't try to get in touch with me. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Fair enough. Janae... No, not really. Please get in touch. I was kidding. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. Janae, thank you so much for being part of Trek Profiles. It was, a, it was an honor. Thank you for having me. Here ends this installment of the Trek Profiles podcast. And before we offer a Trek quote to close this episode, I'd like to remind you that you may send us your friendly suggestions, hateful missives, or your pioneering intersectional cyber Star Trek slash fic to feedback at trekprofiles.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Trek Profiles. Anything you send us may be used in the show, or it might be sent right back to the first chap. This week... I leave you with a quote from Kess, who in the episode Life Signs said, quote, Romance is not a malfunction. Close quote. Thanks for listening, and live long and prosper. <laughs>